Alrighty, so now let's talk about some things that we've seen or didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, let's go. So, Stranger Things. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so, so, I'm going to let... Yeah, I, gonna finished, I finished watching Stranger Things. Uh, I, it was on the last episode, the last time we recorded, and... Right, and we decided to not talk about it at all. Yeah. So, uh, it's a good move. Yeah, so uh, I like it. I got mm-hmm. a lot of crazy theories to talk about. <laughs> uh there's there's a handful of really interesting things uh about it so uh one of the attorneys that i work with he was bugging me about seeing stranger things because he wanted to talk about it and he's like all right well don't come in my office until you've seen it so i went to his <clears> office <throat> and he had um he had like pillows on his couch for like the uh, what's it called what was the scoops ahoy uh, uh, yeah yeah and he had like That's glasses and, and just a bunch of other like things from the movie but he had recently gone to atlanta and he went to the mall that they filmed stranger things in so stranger things was oh, cool i forgot the name of the mall you, you google star court no, well, no, 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 it's, the... it's like it's like gwinnett springs or gwinnett place okay. mall it, it's it's a mall there's about five stores in it and the rest of it is like blocked off and not used so huh. there's a like beauty store, there's a uh like feet first or some, some like some shoe store. There's a couple other stores in it that are still open, but the rest of the mall is like abandoned. Yeah, basically. completely abandoned. You can walk in the main um that weird like square atrium kind of thing where they shot like some of the opening scenes in where they like had their bikes uh yeah. stored outside. You can walk into that part. And like look around, but there's nothing really in there. Everything is uh you can't get into the atrium part that they were in. Uh but you can look at it because you can go into one of the stores and all of the like windows that they have on the inside of the mall are still there. So hmm. he was in Atlanta for some thing, I don't know. But uh he went and took pictures and he went this was like right as they put out the episodes. Uh, that's cool so he went there and they were still taking down parts of the set so he took pictures of the atari store and uh like the, the atrium that they filmed in like you can look at that from there but then a part where they had uh some more stuff that they hadn't taken down yet like they had blocked off and they had security there because it's a you know the liability mm-hmm. but they had it, you, you could see like the burger king sign that they took down with like the old-fashioned letters and Right. Uh, it, it was really neat. It, the, the stuff he's like, yeah, it, everything was like still there. They're still working on it. They could have, you know, just put like a walkthrough and you could like see the set and they could have made a killing, but you know, it's probably, it was like, yeah, it's a liability. And you can... uh, I, I've, I've seen stranger things. Yeah. But I mean, it, like people, <laughs> so what people were doing is they would sneak into the mall uh, mm. after they heard, after it was wrapped, but before it was released and they right. snuck in and they like recorded themselves like urban exploration style, like looking at all of the sets and everything was like still there from the last scenes. Uh, wow. So those are on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, he, he went there and it was really neat. Hmm. I will check that out. I didn't realize that. Um, I, I was actually, I remember saying to my wife uh, while we were watching, I was like, you know, where did they film this? Because yeah. the mall is just, it's perfect and mm-hmm. it looks too good to be a set. 
and you know, it was not a set. It was an actual yeah. mall in Atl- Now that that's what got me because usually, uh, it's some abandoned mall in you know, Toronto or yeah, you know, something. But I, I it kind of, right. it was like, oh no, it's in Atlanta, Georgia, and apparently, there are a bunch of just abandoned malls. Uh, there's one in Orlando, that hmm. uh, it's just there's like two stores still open in it, and the rest of it is just abandoned. They that's so weird that like some stores are still open. Like mm-hmm. like how do those stores get business? They must be so popular within the local yeah. uh, economy that that people just know about them so well that they go there. Well, they probably have people that shop there still, and the rent is probably way Super way cheap. lower than you could get anywhere else. Yeah. Like, okay, so we people know where we are. Wow, and our rent is stupid low. Why would we move? It's it, right it, because in reality, like is, is is the fact that there's a like dead mall attached to them really going to affect uh, who cares? They're like, oh, I'm just going to go to the Foot Locker. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't even think Foot Locker is still a thing. It's been a while since I've been in a mall. Uh, but yeah. Well, uh, the mall, so, well it's funny. I, I feel like I'm slowly watching the death of our mall because <laughs> um, there's the the more and more we go there. And the only reason we go honestly is because the AMC movie theater is attached oh, to IMAX. our mall. Yeah. Or whatever our, uh, the Monmouth mall movie theater. Yeah, and, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's one of the nicest, um, AMCs in our, in our area. It's the only one that has a Dolby and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, that's the only reason why we wind up going to that mall. So like we'll walk around sometimes before or after a movie and we'll just look at how literally places just keep closing and closing and closing and like nothing's reopening. You know, they just put up those, those, uh, those fake like wallpaper advertisements for the mall in front of Mm -hmm. the, you know, in front of the closed gates. And it's like, wow, coming soon. Nothing. Something. (laughs) Yeah. Coming soon. Uh, Stranger Things four. <laughs> no, that, my favorite. That's all. My you know favorite. What? Oh god, Th- this is actually a really good idea. You just mm. convert all of those spaces into sets. Yeah, it's such a large square footage, right? It's, it, it like you. Uh, it, this is actually something that um, some some YouTube channel I follow for like Magic of the Gathering. Mm-hmm. The he got an office in an old mall, so it was used to be some store or something or some room in a store and he they converted it into uh like group workspaces and office spaces and just because it's it's such a large square footage it's a big area as all the parking you can handle but you're just people aren't going there right but it's still a building it's still there they still have the property still for rent yeah well why not just rent it to businesses for you're, you're not getting anything so you can either take the loss on your taxes which is a viable thing to do i guess but you're still paying property tax or get some money out of it freaking get some money out of it what well i mean that's what that's what obviously happened with stranger things you know netflix yeah. decided like hey instead of us building sets let's let's go to an actual abandoned mall and build the sets there yeah uh, and that is an amazing thing to do. And that's something that I think 
as we move forward and south park did a whole you know episode on how amazon killed them all and you know now amazon <laughs> yeah. has everyone by the balls and uh, they they can afford to do crappy customer amazon service and, and lie about and delivering packages <laughs> you know they, they can do that because they did the walmart thing where they go into an area and they underprice the local you know, mom and pop shops until they go out of business and then they can jack up the prices. Uh, this is a business tactic that a lot of them do. So they, they go ahead, they do all this, they eat out the competition and then now you have a bunch of you know empty stores and a monolithic megacorp. Uh, except Amazon did this with the world and by offering you know, fast enough shipping when they deliver that. Uh, all right. Well, now I don't have to go and walk around Walmart and try and find this thing and try and find someone to, you know, tell me where the thing that I'm looking for is only to find out that they don't have it. I'm going to have to go to target and it, it just cuts out the middleman and says, Oh no, I can get exactly what I want. I can have it to my house in two days. And Bob's your uncle. It's funny that you're, that you're talking about that because that's kind of what Stranger Things was trying to show us as well, um, but with the subject matter of how this affected the 80s, because malls were finally becoming a huge thing. Like, like yeah, they were around, but they were, they were like really spreading the nation in that time period, mm -hmm. and it was the same kind of thing. It was like, hey, let's have a centralized location where you can have uh, an abundant amount of stores uh, most of them are name brands to mm. bring people in and we're going to kill the mom and pop shops because yeah. we're going to, we're going to make the money and we're going to have it all in one location. And mm -hmm. that's what started happening. And it's great that I, I was really happy that, you know, stranger, stranger things has never really done that before. Um, but they actually showed a glimpse of how, uh, you know, that was affecting the economy in yeah. in Hawkins, and I thought that was brilliant. That was awesome because, again, you don't really get into the nook the nooks and crannies of Hawkins like that. So it was cool to see to see that, and I hope they do more things like that in the any town America series. and how it you know dealt with you know losing mom and pop shops to having big brands come in and the Russians and you know, <laughs> right. I, no, I, I I like that they kind of. You know, it's a different song, but it's the same dance. It's the same song yeah. that's happening now where instead of, you know, the malls coming in and eating out mom and pop shops, you have the, you know, online presence eating out the mall. Right. Uh, you know, the, it's an evolution of, of the same issue. If you told people back then that Sears was going to go out of business because an online <laughs> bookseller, like an, yeah. an online bookstore, uh, number one, they say, what's an online bookstore? But, uh, so it's a, it's a store, but it doesn't actually have any store. And because of them, Sears is uh, uh, bankrupt. And they'd be like, yeah. huh? No, you're, you're insane. This Sears cat have you seen the Sears catalog? <laughs> uh, so I, I really liked how they uh, include that. And they did the, you know, the cultural phenomenon that was the mall and like, Oh, this is where right. the kids go. And this is, you know, the new yeah. thing. I mean, they, they solved the arcade, but it's like, well, this is the new thing. And then they put arcades in malls, but they didn't really yeah. touch that as much, but no, yeah, yeah, it, it, it the, yeah. the, the, the snapshot that they gave and 
uh, as they're getting closer to kind of what we uh, recognize. I mean, we I kind of missed the boat on the whole mall thing. I, I went to the mall, but I didn't mm-hmm. like go there with a bunch of friends to hang out. I just went to walk around and look at stuff. Yeah. And then I leave you know, because it's <laughs> consumerism. Uh, but like, I, I, it was never a thing where I'd be like, "Hey, let's go to the mall and talk to people." And it wasn't yeah. that. That wasn't part of my, you know, social upbringing. There was Mall Rats was a movie. It wasn't a way of life. <laughs> uh, but this is kind of really exemplifying that. Like, oh, this is the mall. This is where people go. This is where people hang out. It's it's the mall. Uh, let's so go I, to the mall. Yeah. Uh, uh, sparkles. How I Met Your Mother? No? All right. Nope. So, uh, yeah, I did not watch How I Met Your Mother. Gotcha. Uh, so it's okay. It was I enjoyed by the end. Yeah, that's what I heard. It's like Heroes. Just oh. slowly grinds it out until you're just praying for the sweet release of death. Just, just end already. I can't take it anymore. I enjoyed Stranger Things. Uh, I think I know who the American is, but you could probably prove me wrong. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's. Uh, I keep forgetting his name. Artie, uh, the guy who speaks Russian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't That's think it, I don't think it's yeah. Hopper. Yeah, I don't think it's Hopper. I think it's that guy because they never showed him at the end. No, they didn't. And, and all the actually, Russians disappeared. Right, and actually, um, just to to add some more t- um, to that. There's actually a phone number you can call. I think it's his phone number or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Similar to what they did with Better Call Saul. You could actually yeah, call yeah. the phone number and Saul speaks and whatever. So if you call the number, he he, it's like a voicemail he left for um, for Will's mom. Why oh, can't I think of Winona's writer, Winona Ryder's character? What was with me right now? Mrs. Byers. Yeah, Mrs. B- <laughs> Mrs. Byers. Joan? Jen? I don't know. Ah, whatever. Um, but he leaves a message for her and, and he's like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be away for a little while. I'm investigating something. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think that was their way of like, you know, kind of like a little Easter egg, a post credit yeah. scene. You, if you went, well, I, they did give us a post credit scene, but I'm just saying like, that was a little hint at what it was because that was their point. You know, the, the, the American that they were speaking about is a red herring, you know, like mm-hmm. they want us to think Hopper's still alive. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to say this right now, if they pull the, the rug out from under us, I'm going to be pissed because I hate, I hate when movies and TV shows do stuff like that. Like, they don't like la- kill, kill a main character, like be brave, take a, make a bold chance. Don't hide it. Make it a real thing. You know, it, yeah. if you're going to kill Superman, kill Superman. I, it, the yeah. thing is, the thing about killing Superman, well, is that you know, not Superman. No, no, sure. but he, he, he's, he's Tommy Versetti. <laughs> the thing about killing Superman is that you know they didn't kill Superman, right? So I understand death what you're saying. Means nothing, and right. uh, we're so used to this same kind of like trope, where it's like, oh yeah, he we killed him, but actually we didn't kill him, and he's still alive, and they they like hint at it, and I. Sometimes people are afraid to make bold decisions yeah. and just kill off a main character. Like Game of Thrones, how they didn't kill anyone. <laughs> well, they did. Like, they like the, you took a show where 
literally like the the main character dies in the first season and you're like oh okay so i guess that's how and that was like the second to the last episode it's they, they took a show and you're like oh all right th- this is the willy wonka entrance of shows where like he stumbles and he has the cane and then he springs back up so you can't trust him because it's you know you you can never trust what you see that right. that's that's the Willy Wonka entrance with Game of Thrones that did the Willy Wonka entrance. So they're like, oh no, we'll kill everybody, and that was a main stigma. It's like, oh, who's gonna die? And if you read the books, then you know who's gonna die, but you want <laughs> to see it because you know they changed some things, but not really a lot of things. And you want more than anything, you want to see people who didn't read the books' reaction because they're like, oh, they're not gonna kill him. He's a main character. It's like, uh, you sweet summer child. and then at the end when they literally don't kill anyone and it's like oh all the main characters are still alive and they didn't really make any bold choices and they kind of died for no reason you know if they did die they didn't die in a way that you'd expect them to they died doing something stupid it's like Mm -hmm. just kill them when when you have a scene when everyone is uh, when everyone is expecting you know someone's gonna die who's gonna be you're like oh okay that's that's this person dying when they pull the uh, pull the rug out you know, when when they kill superman and then you're like oh okay so he's not actually dead or you you make an episode full of near misses somehow it's like mm-hmm. oh no every, everyone's still alive how 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 are these characters the freaking plot armor and which is not even a real plot you know superman's not dead they right. never actually kill superman and in sometimes you need to uh otherwise it it's like all right well there's no stakes if you can't right. kill superman so i and, hopper and i it, my my one thing is like if hopper like made it into the upside down like he went through the crack before it closed that i'd be like eh, okay because he's you know not actually there and he's probably going to die there. But, you know, that was my one thing of like, oh, you know, maybe he's still alive. Maybe he jumped into the crack. But it's... Eh. Into the crack. I don't think that he's going to be in a good way. It, he wouldn't survive very long. Yeah. Not to the next I, season. I just, I just don't... Like, I want the Duffer brothers to look at this and go, okay, we know... We're filmmakers. We know this trope. We know this cliche. Let's subvert expectations. Let's do something and actually make it stick. You know, you know, a, a show that always, always got me um, before Game of Thrones was Twenty Four. I don't know if you ever watched it. I watched in the beginning. I mean, that okay. that show has had like thirty seasons. <laughs> it's uh, not that many actually I, I, uh, it has just about the same amount of seasons as game of thrones yeah. it's just it feels long because every season's 24 episodes dun, dun, <laughs> but for me um 24 they always subverted expectations like throughout the entire series they were always uh, i was it was always that that question of oh who's gonna die now oh what's going to happen now? Like, and it was perfect. Like the only character you knew that would never die was Jack. And, and, but like throughout the whole series, like something always happens that, that brings the emotion back and, and like, you know, 
you, it made you care, made you want to keep going because mm-hmm. there were stakes and they actually mattered. Um, the only, the only time, the only time they actually went back on, on something was with Tony. And, um, and it, it was, since it was that one time, it didn't hurt the series and, um, and it was okay. And the way they brought him back was fine. But at the same time, they've done, they, they, they did it so much throughout the series where they actually let characters go that it make it gives room for for new stories, new characters, yeah, um, new Growth. ideas, yeah, exactly. And 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 that's what was great about the series was because every season had its own storyline, um, and you didn't have to hold on to a character that from the previous story. You know, yeah. it, it was it was a really great way for the series to keep going. And I think that's why it was so successful for so long. Um, Game of Thrones, it was kind of the same thing. And I agree with you, you know, uh, as much as I like the last season, I, I know I would have enjoyed it more if they really took risks. Yeah. And they didn't. And I and they and I'm had right there the with opportunity. You. They could have. The, what the, There were no stakes. They, yeah. at least I'm, I'm saying for the writers lots of it, chickens but no mistakes <laughs> the, it's all surf no turf uh the, for the writers like oh, it's the last season they don't the, the, why why bother what do yeah, they care exactly just you could have killed everyone in the in the second episode and we still would have watched till the end yes <laughs> you know like yes it wouldn't and have it mattered been interesting. what they did yeah, we, exactly. You could have had the Night King win and march and and win. you could have everyone die and the Night King mm. win and take over Westeros and people would have probably liked it better than what we got. I agree. Uh, but it, even if even if George R. R. Martin's ultimate goal and ultimate ending is this whole Daenerys John uh thing, that's fine. But like it'll still be why? better because it'll be more fleshed out. Of course, but why not like See, my whole expectation, and I get it, subvert expectations, which they did, but my whole thing I was, expected I, it to be good. Yeah, Subverted. true. <laughs> but, the long, but the long night, like, it would have been so much better if he, if he won that battle, and then they were forced to the Erie, or they were forced to the Iron Islands, and then they had to continue fighting him, you know? Mm-hmm. At least for another couple episodes. Like whatever, you know, or, what? or like they 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 hide out. Get into this again. They hide out, and then the Night King takes you know King's Landing, and then some other I, like magical force like Tom Bombadil pops in and just solves well, all it the would problems. Be, and it then would be, be the like, huh? It uh, would be uh, the swamp people that never came into the storyline again because you know uh what's her face mira was just like all right i i don't care about you anymore uh bran mm-hmm. so see ya and you're never gonna hear about me or my dad ever again like how don't stupid talk to is that or my son or or uh or you just have gandalf call the eagles and then <laughs> they're oh, oh that that's why didn't you do this before eh, doesn't make a good story I, I just think that it's funny that even even J.R.R. Tolkien, the, the the king of world building and and fantasy storytelling, even he wrote such a huge plot hole. Yeah, it's it's a pretty funny thing. Uh, that's that's fine though. Uh, anyway, so I think I think we yeah. kind of beat this horse. Uh, Stranger Things was For great, sure. much better than Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> well, much we're better right than the, the last. Smack, we're yeah. smack dab in the middle of this show. Let's see what happens yeah. when it continues. 
It, you know, I I think it's promising. I'm excited to see what they do uh, because they're, so, they're they're greenlit for another season, right? That's, oh yeah, yeah. So they're, where they're I think going. where I think it's promising, the only thing I'm going to say is how many times are we going to do the same thing over and over again? Because they they ended this and brought out a demogorgon, and it's like that's supposed to be like oh my god, this crazy revelation. It's just they need to. They need to move on. They need to like well, figure something else out. I I heard so, an so amazing theory that I wanted to talk to you about once you finish this. But go ahead. What, what so you were because saying. the Demogorgon is alive, that means that there's still a rift in to the upside down. Of because course, when and I closed, understand that when they closed the hole before, all the Demogorgons died. So the upside down is still like there. It's still open. So the Mind Flayer can still have access to the world. So pretty much this entire season doesn't really matter i mean it matters depending on where they are i I did love the little subversion that they did where they made you think it was like in russia and then they made you think it was at the energy thing and they kept chasing it and they're like oh no it's under the mall i I I liked that part of it unfortunately i think we all figured it was (laughs) under the mall though oh yeah yeah, i know but i i liked i liked how they kind of led that little It was an interesting red herring. It made it made for a really cool it made for a really cool like um uh mystery thriller mm-hmm. kind of uh um you know murder mystery type noir esque you know And they didn't explain uh, how the Russians got there, how they got out and Right. Like I, And I, you know, obviously it seems like they will start to get into the Russian um storyline more in next season mm-hmm. since, you know, obviously we're gonna be seeing more of Russia and so on. Yeah. But um so I just wanna briefly touch on an amazing theory I read the other day about Stranger Things and how the show may continue and uh what the overarching story is that the Duffer brothers are writing. So ultimately um, somebody had said, what if the mind flare is actually number one? Have you heard this theory? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Where the, uh, like, so I, I have a separate theory that I figured, I thought of before hearing this, but like the, the first person is the, the mind flare and they're kind of like corrupted by the upside down. And then you have like 11 is the 11th one. She's all the different people who were used in that experiment. Right? Is that what you're getting at? Yes. Um, however, it's not that he was... Uh, the theory that I read is not so much that he was trapped in the Upside Down, more so that through his mind powers and uh, the telekinetic connection he has with the world or whatever, he created the Upside Down. Hmm. Right, so you ready for my crazy uh, theory? I'm always ready for a crazy Wesley theory. All right, so... What we call think, this section crazy wesley theory so what i think is i think the mind flare is the upside down version of 11 so so what i think is that the upside down is like this pandimensional thing but only people who have like these extra abilities are able they, they get them because they're able to uh access the upside down right that, i mean that's that's pretty much what they were kind of showing with this is like oh she gets her ability as the you know the rift opens up wider her powers get stronger like there's that tie there 
Right. Um, but what I think is that ele- uh, the Mind Flayer is, you know, the upside down version of Eleven. Like the, <laughs> the, uh, what's it called? This is, no, this is us. The, Bizarro uh, Superman. Pretty much. Like, it, it's the perverted, you know, rotten, uh, Bizarro mirror image of Eleven in the upside down. And right. as the two come closer and closer together, the, the power magnifies. Uh, the only, the only uh, reason until why... until they annihilate each other. That's yeah. that's that's what I think. And I think that you know when you have that rift, I mean, she because she opened the rift, right? That's what they were saying. Is that she? Uh, caused... Yeah, when she in the first season, when she uh, like she went too deep into the the upside down and then the rift opened right and that's so when, that's when the first demogorgon came out right so what what i'm thinking is that the the mind flare is just the that other world dimension you know the, just the two the particle and the anti-particle kind of like lining up and only certain people have like really strong anti-particles like that so her having this ability is related to like the anti 11 that's in there and it's you know the, they always show like the dark side is have being more powerful right it's like the sith versus the jedi like the 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 dark like there's a million jedi and there's like one sith lord and apparently that's you know balanced uh so you have the dark you know perverted version of 11 which is the mind flare who has the ability to you know corrupt things uh maybe not i'm not saying that the abilities are like against each other but it's just like the the power where you have uh like she's a huge positive and the mind flare is a huge negative but they're one entity so to speak that you know that seek to annihilate each other it's the the anti-hydrogen and the hydrogen and then they you know explode into nothing uh, so that that's my theory on it, in that each of the people who have like these powers also have another an al- opposite. Yeah, also have an opposite, and maybe the rift that was opened by the Russians was to another upside down that is the anti of whatever person that they're using to open it. Because uh, mm, in this one, theory. in this one, they were opening it. They were opening the one that was already opened before. Uh, the the one with the mind flare, the one with eleven. That's how the, all of them were connected. But perhaps in the this other upside down, it's a different one, or it's someone else's you know energy that caused it, and it's someone else's someone else is gonna have powers, and they're gonna have you know their anti thing, and it could be a completely different bad guy, bad entity. I don't know. It's all it's all just kind of fan theory in my head, but that's that's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting theory. I I I like the sound of it as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean the the thing that I liked about this theory was it was all these it was all these kids in this facility, and they haven't really explained what happened to all of them. Well, they and showed what one. Would, what they showed one of them yeah i think it was number eight yeah but but yeah and and honestly none of us were really that fond of that episode but i think it was just the way the episode was delivered not so much the the um uh 
not so much the character that they created. You know, I, I would like to see more of these characters, but I don't want it to be, you know, oh, they're the X-Men, you know, like I just mm-hmm. I just want to know their past. I want to know what happened in that facility. I want to know what her father was doing. I want to understand well, Papa, not, it may not be her father, but Papa. Well it see that's what I that's what I never really understood. So like he she was taken from her mother, but they made they still made it seem like that he he was her father. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I guess uh, I didn't rewatch the series. Uh, you did, so you may know better than I do at this moment. I may not but. know any better, but I just I feel <laughs> like that's not like that wouldn't be her actual father. Eh. Okay, but I mean, she's a little kid. I mean, it's yeah, she was taken like as a baby. So, but either way, um. Yeah, any of these theories would be interesting. I just definitely think they need to now move away from these these um, single season set pieces and start to get deeper into the storyline. Yeah, because they kind of they kind of hinted at it a little bit at the end of this season when the mind flayers directly talking to Eleven, mm-hmm. which was very interesting because this is the first time we hear the voice of the uh, of the upside down. You know, like mm-hmm. I didn't even know that they spoke or these creatures had the ability to speak. Yeah. So, um, so that was interesting. And that's, and that's another reason why, like, I like the number one theory, but, uh, but your theory also works really well too. So uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. Obviously we're not going to know for another year or so. Um, hopefully crossing my fingers, the last season, Mr. Robot comes out before then to keep me busy because I really need to see how that se- that show ends. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not caught up on that. You really need to get I know, I know. that I'm and just, Westworld. Yeah, I'm still behind. That's what's great about Mr. Robot, aside from another show that just ended, that I really don't want to say the name again because I don't want to get back into it. But Westworld, um, Mr. Robot isn't based on anything. It's an original idea, yeah. and it's an amazing idea. And the way to subvert expectations is to just do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't have to worry about the material that came before it. I'm excited to just see how Sam Esmail wraps everything up. You know, that was, I mean, and, 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 I, and, and it's not, they can, they borrowed a, a scene directly from fight club. I mean, that's the, yes, but you're talking about all the way in season one. Yes. Where I know. I know. The show has evolved and changed so much since then. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying like, the, no, I know you're not. There's a lot in there. And especially, I mean, I've been, I'm an IT guy, so I I am a hundred percent in tune with all of the things that they were talking about and the the little subtle references to things that they you know. Well, well Sam Esmail definitely loves to play uh, pay homage to a lot of a lot of um, pop culture, mm-hmm. and and that's also what I love about Mr. Robot. But as far as I've understood um, from what I know about IT and um, from what I've heard about it, they're, they're doing a really great job oh, keeping no. it pretty they Absolutely on point. have. Yeah. It, from all the things, I, I think I've watched two seasons of it. Um, from everything that I saw, like, what's it? Like, Steel Mountain was like yeah. the company. And, like, Iron Mountain is a legit company that you use for data storage. So I'm like, Right. Uh, when I saw, and then from that point on, I always got it confused. I'm like, crap, what was the name of the the company? 
and I kept thinking it was the fake company name uh, <laughs> because I mean it's it's basically the same name that they use, but the it's it's very like true to life to what they were doing, and all of the stuff is all technically possible. It's not like there's some like technical magic going on. I'll, everything is like rooted in an actual thing that's possible, and they talk about concepts that are actual security based concepts like it's from what i've seen i haven't i'm not caught up at all so they could have gone into the woo woo but a big thing is that it was grounded in reality and i really enjoyed that aspect of it so aside from stranger things um tarantino finally came out with his new film once upon a time in hollywood Mm -hmm. um i'm just gonna come out here right now uh we get it, Tarantino. Spoilers, you like, everybody. You like feet. I get it. <laughs> I, that there was a lot of feet in this movie. I mean, Just, there are a lot of hippies. So no, no, but they, there were a lot of shots where half of the frame was filled with someone's feet. A lot of shots in the car. So are you the opposite of Tarantino? You like get disgusted by feet. I'm not like disgusted, but I'm just I. I noticed it and it didn't really like serve anything, which is like, Oh no. Except his fetish. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he, just, he just likes feet. And uh, I was talking to Rachel and she's like, is that like his thing? And I'm like, hey, do you remember like dust to dawn when like Selma Hayek, like sticks her feet in his mouth? Oh, I don't even, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of that movie. So I don't, I don't even really there's, know that there's a section in the movie where Salma Hayek playing like this vampire queen. Uh, yeah. I'm familiar with the is book. like dancing and just shoves her toes in Quentin Tarantino's mouth. Huh? Interesting. And I am positive that this was his idea. <laughs> I mean, if y- you gonna... know, you know, it'd be great guys. It would be great if Selma, you put your feet in my mouth and you know what? I, uh, okay. <sighs> Like, if you're going to have someone's feet in your mouth, I mean, Selma Hayek's not a bad choice. Yeah, I mean, but, I'm with you. But, I mean, it, it was just like one of those, it was that same thing. It's like, okay, it doesn't really move the plot along. It doesn't really give anything to us, you know, normal people. But, <laughs> it, 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 I don't know. The thing is, it I love was, that this is the thing you chose to talk about about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I... There's other things to talk about, but this is the first thing I thought of to talk about because it was just, it was one of those things where it's just like, all right, okay, I get it. Okay, 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 I get it. I get it. That the feet were in half of the frame for a good part of, like, I just, it, it, it it's makes not me want to see it prob- again. It's not that I have a problem with I... feet. It's it just, all right, so when, um, Oh, Sharon Tate. That's, okay. Uh, Margot Margot Robbie played her, right? Mm-hmm. So when she's like watching the movie of herself, and yes. she's like, oh, and enjoying, she puts her feet up on, the and seat. she puts her feet up on the seat. Half of the frame is her feet, and when they show like her face, her like out of focus feet are in half of the frame, and then when they do the reverse shot, then her feet are in focus in front of the screen. It's just, it's just so much feet. And then they do... And then when the, the hippie's in the car, it's the same deal. The feet are in half of the frame. And they do the reverse shot. And they're in focus. And then they do the other one. It's like... It, it's, just, it's just so much. 
it was just so much it, it was enough that like i noticed it and it wasn't adding anything to the film for me it, it was like why why uh, you know what it was i was like why is this like so weird why why are they situated in such a weird part of the frame why does it look like i'm watching a letterbox it's like oh it's because the other half of the film is filled with feet and maybe that was a stylistic choice i just didn't jive with it um another thing about the movie that doesn't involve feet i guess i mean (laughs) you you could say involves feet was the pacing the pacing Mm. of the movie Get it? Because pacing and feet. And all I, I get it. Nice. The pacing of the movie fell off for me, and that was a hard yes, P in it the was microphone. Very, very off. Tar- and it's funny because Tarantino is like a king. I know of, of pacing and a king of dialogue, and just like his movies always have a flow and a rhythm, and it's it's like it's like a song, you know? Like yeah, it's just everything works so well. But you are completely right. This was so off, and the way that it, it was so jarring too that like. So most of the movie takes place in one day, you know, yeah. like, like about, about two thirds of the movie is one day. And then all of a sudden, randomly six the months. day, yeah, the day ends and they jump six months later. And instead of just letting the movie play out, they do a narration. Kurt Russell does yeah. a whole narration and I'm like, whoa, this is, this just does not work. I it's know not what? like that was the least objectionable part for me. It bothered me more when it was just kind of like a slow, hey, you know, I, I hate this because the acting in it was phenomenal. Oh, for I, sure. I thought the acting in it was great. It, it, it's, you have, it, it reminded me of Tropic Thunder when uh, Robert Downey Jr. is like, I'm a dude uh, disguised as a dude playing another dude. It, it's just like, you had so many like layers because it's actors yeah. playing actors and it, and and when you have like fucking Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt like I I love the dynamic between the two of them I uh, yeah it's funny I didn't know how that was going to work but when I finally saw it in the movie I was like huh this actually works and I liked you know I liked the little asides that they did where they talked about uh about you know uh what's it Jake Hill, Jack Hill, Jake Hill. Was that, what was his name? Oh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's yeah. character. Yeah, I don't know. Man. I don't remember. It, it doesn't matter. It's a so, lot of the characters were not memorable when it came to that. You yeah. know, uh, well, because it's you know, I think part of it was that they went into it being like, oh, this is the about like the Sharon Tate like Manson family kind of thing. But it, but, uh, but it, it wasn't. It but was. I, it but was, it but it wasn't. wasn't. And I, I was waiting for like the little tidbits to kind of dribble in until those tidbits took over the story. Like you start off with one story, and then you start right. like drizzling in little bits of this until it becomes that other story. And I expected right. that transition from where it becomes the other story to happen somewhere in the middle of the movie and it happened in the very very last 15 minutes of the movie uh so for a movie that's two hours and 45 minutes it wasn't enough time focused on it well and we literally saw charles manson once in the whole movie yeah and it didn't even impact the story i 
I mean, it, it kind of did because like, it oh, go did. to Tate's old house. Like, I understand. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to belabor that point because like, I, all right, that that's fine. But I I feel like the the two things, one being referenced to like this. Like, it, and this is what makes it so hard for me, because I understand after seeing the totality of the movie, what he was getting at. Like, I get yeah. like, oh, OK, you're trying to capture a moment in time that, you know, th- this is the like rose colored glasses look at Hollywood, but not not totally rose. It's it's the down to earth rose color. It's the slightly tinted glasses. Look back at old Hollywood, which it, it, like from from when you look at this, you're like, oh, OK, I can. S- this is what Tarantino loved about old Hollywood. Right. was the like just this type of you know atmosphere uh this kind of like carefree uh thing that people had and how this industry was kind of just churning along and it was a reimagining of if you had this carefree and like kind of free and just really nice world without having the Sharon Tate murder that just kind of like was a cruel uh, speed bump in everyone's like nice lazy ride. And I understand after, you know, looking at the totality of the film, I can see where he was getting at and basically like a, a writing like a love story to old Hollywood. I understand mm-hmm. that. And that, that makes sense to me. I get it, and I can appreciate that. However, when you say when, not even when you say, because it wasn't even. I, I I went into this knowing very little about the movie, only knowing that it had something to do with the Sharon Tate. Me letter. too. I, I, didn't, I think we all did. They didn't really put too much in yeah. the trailers that made us go, "Oh, uh, yeah, I know what this movie's going to be about." Yeah, and and I'm not the most cultured person in the world, so I'm not going to be. You know, I don't. What? I don't know about how old Hollywood was and the, how, you know, the, like I knew Westerns were a thing, but I didn't think about it. it it's not something I grew up with or cared about. Uh, I, I knew about spaghetti Westerns, but only very barely. It wasn't part of my upbringing or uh, nothing I'm doing is influenced by spaghetti Westerns at all. Uh in, in as much as like Django influences the rest of my life, because that's based off of spaghetti westerns. So, and you can see, like, looking through this and uh, looking at Tarantino's other work and everything, I'm like, oh, okay, this, this all fits in, and I get it. However, for this movie, it it was a lot of it, it's it, the thing is, it wasn't filler because you can't call. Uh, what they did filler you know what i mean it it wasn't as banal and bland and boring as filler it's just it played to a plot that was never uh never expounded upon you know what i mean it and it kind of did in that like the little touches here and there but i feel like this movie without the Sharon Tate murder, uh, I, if that wasn't the climax of the movie, 
uh, it would have made more sense if they had some other climax of the movie. Well, they did. Well, uh, they I, I guess they did, but I feel like it, it was such a big thing in Hollywood, like this murder and this, this event happening, and it really called into question like society and like what was going on in the world and oh no we're not really safe even though we're rich and you know pedophile oh no it's just uh, roman polanski um <laughs> which uh, like i i did like when they're in the playboy mansion and like you know someday he's gonna screw up and and i'm like oh yeah you know when when he gets so, essentially banished from america because he was like diddling 14 year olds Sometimes I hate that though. I hate that like blatant like we are the we are in the present and we know the truth of what happens. So we're gonna have a character in that time period act like they already know something. Well, no, but I like, hate that. The, the thing is, it wasn't. It it wasn't so much that like he knew it was gonna happen. He was like, oh, when uh, when he. Uh, screws up their relationship he, he's gonna be there to pick her up it, it but it had the like sub or had the uh the double entendre essentially of us knowing that he really screwed up it had nothing to do with this it had more to do with him being a shitty person uh so yeah it, like i i can i can drive with it on that level in that you know it's like uh, it's uh it's it's irony it's where you know he's saying one thing meaning one thing but the audience having outside information uh can see it as another meaning that's dramatic irony so i can see it there and it's it's a tool as old as you know plays and entertainment as time song as old as uh so I can see it there and it doesn't really bother me because it's just like a one of those like little like it, it's it's an ironic moment. I'm fine with that. It, it's not calling it out. It, it's not like ah he's going to fuck some kid. They, they don't go into that. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm OK with it because it, it was just kind of a slight little touch, a little nod. And I'm OK with little nods. It's not blatant exposition. It's not like rubbing your nose in it. <clears throat> and it right. it was still serving the point of the plot. Lots of peas tonight. Uh, so I get that. And I get that it's a love letter to Hollywood, or like old Hollywood and the, the stuff that he loved about it. And this event that changed everything uh, for the, the culture, the how, how people saw Hollywood. I get all that. And it's all great. And it was shot beautifully and the acting was great but the pacing and how it was arranged and what you were expecting going into it was completely off. And I think if you, you go into inglorious bastards and you're like, okay, this is a world war two movie. And you're like, okay, that's general enough. This is going to involve world war two, probably some Nazis, whatever. I get it. You go into Django and you're like, all right, this is about a, you know, uh, like slavery and a black bounty hunter. And all right, I get it. It's general enough. Hateful mm-hmm. Eight. 
you go into it and it's about you know these people that are kind of what what's the name of the movie for that uh the or the name of the um that type of like scheme where it's just a bunch of people in one room for the entirety of the movie pretty much i know there's a word for it but i i just yeah it's escaping me right now but like it's a general enough idea all right that's fine i'll roll with it you go into reservoir dogs and you're like all right it's a bank heist movie or uh, it's a heist movie i i know it's it's more more, of what you were saying i know it's more than that but it's it's a general idea i'll roll with it uh you could look at a lot of his movies and be like, okay, it's this general idea. Uh, and then we're putting the Tarantino twist on it. Right. This movie was not that it, you know what I mean? It, like, I feel like you, you feel me, uh, you feel me when I'm saying this, this yeah. movie wasn't oh, I feel you. this general idea and the Tarantino twist on it. This was some idea, <laughs> that, you know, I, I don't know, uh, some some mishmash of a handful of things. And it didn't, and that's why the pacing was off, because you're trying to throw a bunch of little things in together. And while some of the aspects of the movie uh, kind of fell into place, like, oh, because they were staying at this ranch, and the stunt double worked on that ranch, and that's how he got involved there. And then that's, that's how he knew those people when they came but that really didn't play into it at all and the no acid cigarette me. didn't really play into it and that that you didn't he didn't need to know them in order to uh in order to do what he did he didn't need to know who they were he didn't need to be tripping on acid right not like those things that kind of happened and tied it loosely together were not necessary in a way that in reservoir dogs or pulp fiction or i don't say django django is a more cohesive storyline hateful eight maybe you can call a little bit of that i'm just trying to throw in a bunch of his like other movies where the threads uh, you don't really notice it but all the little pieces kind of are linked together and you're like oh no by pulling this thread, it released all these other things that have that we set up during the movie. The, the whole sweater is unraveled. Right. In this one, it, it's like you... It, it was a quilt. And you pulled that thread, and the patches of the quilt came apart. They're completely... They're not... It wasn't one cohesive thing to begin with. And when you pull it apart, there's still individual co- individual pieces all over the place. I'm getting too deep into metaphor, but basically what I'm saying is that the the parts of the movie were not integral to each other. They they didn't you didn't need to have one to have the other, and th- when they were linked together, it was only by the thinnest of threads, and that's why the pacing fell off, and that's why it wasn't that good i mean and it's hard to say that it's not that good because it was a decent movie that's where the pacing was off right. because the pieces were not integral to each other and when they were you didn't need one to have the other you didn't have like an aha moment it wasn't like oh okay like i'm i'm linking this all together and you didn't have the 
uh, part where like you saw how everything was connected just before the characters did. And when they, you know, when he torched that girl in the, the pool, like, okay, we get it. It's a callback to an earlier scene. All right. That, that's not, I mean, it, he had the, the graphic gory, you know, fight scene that that was great. I thought that was good. Yeah. I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun in the way that those gory, crazy fight scenes are fun in Tarantino movies. I like that. That's, you know, part of what you go there for. Cause you like seeing the, you know, exaggerated craziness of it right. and how it just goes completely off the walls. That's my suspension of disbelief is not broken at all during there. Cause all of that seems plausible. Cause that's what I'm expecting. Right. It's just the rest of it. The rest, the two hours and 30 minutes of movie that was just kind of patchwork together out of, com- you know, complete separate parts that didn't really need to be together. It was just, it's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed parts of it. I, I liked the little flashback scenes where uh, Brad Pitt, you know, beats up Bruce Lee. <laughs> like, I liked, I liked those little, like, and, and then when it goes back to me, it's like, yeah, yeah, I could say it. Like why he did why, why he didn't couldn't get the job work on yeah. that yeah it's like I like that it was funny I I like how they like threw all of that together but then when they have the uh, the Sharon Tate part of it and she's like I I is is this at all necessary does this matter at all and it didn't it didn't matter at all what. Well, the, the Sharon Tate aspect of it was the least important part of the movie. When well, it it's ultimately like, from what I understood, it's like, what is his, what if, like, this guy lived in this world and he happened to live next door to Sharon Tate? Like, what if there was, it, it's, it's almost like Tarantino's what if, like Tarantino existed in this world at this time, you know, it's like, yeah. And, and, and he was trying to, trying to show us what he had hoped, uh, would have happened. And, uh, he's, he's done this before too. You can look at Inglorious Bastards and what he wound up doing with Hitler. And it's just like, yeah, it's almost Tarantino's way of saying like, this is how I feel about this subject. And I want you to feel what I feel. I I get it, but at the same time, the pacing it it just it all comes down to where are you for that? You know, two hours and thirty minutes. Are you there, or are you watching and are you waiting for something to happen? And I felt like I was waiting for something to happen the entire movie. I agree with you. And I and I totally agree that like the the pacing was definitely one of the worst issues with this movie, and it's look it's one of his weaker films, and not because there's not substance there, mostly because I, I think he had an idea and he didn't know how to how to put it to film. It was probably one of the first times in in his career. It is the first time in his career where he he had something and he wanted to convey it and he couldn't convey it with film. 
and that's it. Like, yeah. like yeah. unfortunately, there's no there's no way around it. And I mean, you know, you 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 said it earlier. Like the acting's fantastic. The the characters are are pretty well written. Um, but love the characters. Yeah, but were there were there great written dialogue scenes that I will remember for my entire life? Absolutely not. Were there great no. moments of uh, of musical um, uh, pop references that I'm gonna be like, yes, yes, I I, can, I just want to watch that scene right now. No, there were none of that. Like I Zero. I went into this movie expecting Tarantinoisms and got basically none of them. And I'm not saying that that's a that's mm-hmm. a bad thing. Like you know, uh, back to subverting expectations. Like Tarantino literally made a movie and did all of different things than he has in the past. Like nothing in this movie was, was similar to oh, the fight scene. Well, fine, but the fight the, the scene, last, the last little bit. Yes. Yeah, our fight scene. The last little bit at the end uh, was definitely a Tarantino. Like you had the, all the calling cards of a Tarantino fight scene. Yeah, I agree. But you know, even that, even, uh, well, eh, I guess it still kind of came through, by Pulp Fiction, but not really. It didn't really I, come to light. Tarantino fight scenes, if you will, didn't really come to light until Kill Bill. Like, really? Oh, for yeah, I you know. I completely agree with you. But but whatever. So, um, I almost think it's it's a way for him to like say to us as an audience too, like, look, I wanted to make a movie that wasn't what I usually do, and um, and I think, and I don't think any of us were ready for that. And I'm not saying that that has anything to do with how poor some of the things were in this movie. But I do like the fact that he tried to do something different, I guess. But at mm-hmm. the same time, uh, it I, is see, what the thing it, is, I, I can probably go verbatim the, the, the talk that uh, Brad Pitt's character gives in Glorious Bastards, where he <laughs> uh, is telling us like, yeah, now you're gonna go home. You're gonna take off that uniform, right? It's like, and no one's gonna know you's a Nazi. Yeah. I like to know that you're a Nazi. Uh, and he and he carves the swastika into the foreheads and like that, like it, it's not the main part of the movie. It, it's almost a punchline. Mm, it is, but it <laughs> but it's it's great. Yeah. It's a great piece of the film. Uh, you know, there, there's... What's it called? The uh, Christopher Walken's talk mm. when he's talking about the watch that he put up his ass. I, I can't do the voice right now. I'm too <laughs> right tired. now? When but could you ever? I could try. You can. And I can't try right now. Um, so, but the watch... Of my ass. So, but like that, that part of the movie, like an absurd yet like totally serious part of the movie. It's a beautiful thing that you look forward to. And this, this movie didn't really have it. No. And I guess you're right. Yeah. This, there was a, you know, he subverted the expectations of people who watch his movies. Yeah. Uh, the problem there is that 
the people who watch his movies want to watch one of his movies <laughs> for sure and and you're right it made and, me want to go back home and be like oh man well, let's watch reservoir dogs or oh, fiction such an amazing movie it is uh dude like uh, i have not and it holds up yeah it really does so well, well it's funny because you were just mentioning the watch scene in pulp fiction and like i had one of those glimpses in my in my mind i was like you know that scene that scene is like uh is a short film within a film and it mm-hmm. on its own stands up as one of the best written monologues in history. And, and it's, and it's so absurd. It's so absurd. But if you notice a lot of monologues throughout history are absurd and um, yeah, it's just, but it's just so well written. Forget about the acting, mm-hmm. like take Christopher Walken out of it. It's so well written. I don't want to. No, I know. I know. I'm just saying like the, it it goes down in history as one of the best scenes ever written. And it's just, it's a great moment that a lot of people will remember for their entire existence. Yeah. And, and this had none of unfortunately, that. <laughs> yeah, th- this had none of that. And it, it was a great visual and it definitely like highlighted a lot of things about like the sixties, right? It was a late sixties. Like the summer of love, like that's the it, it exemplified a lot of the things that were going on at that time, and it was a great like little uh like colorized snapshot, you know, accentuating extra features of that time, and I can see it, this is what what I, like I can see the point. I, I get what you're going for, but it's not. It, when you ask for a plot to the movie, like eh, I don't, I don't really get one. Yeah. My hope, my it, hopes it, and dreams for this movie is more so what Tarantino's now gonna do. So if if got this off his yeah. chest, now do real yeah. work. If if this really is the truth, and he's only planning on making one more movie, um, I'm. Does he count Kill Bill as yes. one movie? This is the ninth right. movie. Kill Bill is one movie. I have a theory that he, if you include Death Proof, it was the last movie that took place in contemporary times. Then he took us back, and the second half of his career have all been period pieces. So mm-hmm. now I'm hoping, I'm. What was the order of them? What was well, the... you have Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill death proof that's five movies then on the other mm-hmm. side you have inglorious bastards django okay. unchained hateful eight uh once upon a time in hollywood once upon so time yes in hollywood. that's nine right, movies. so i was i was wondering if he was going in like chronological order i, I didn't remember if django and hateful eight came out before inglorious bastards i, I just don't know inglorious was 2009 okay so inglorious bastards then django. uh Django, then Hatefully, and now this. So, yeah. So, so it's not really going in any chronological no. order. But, yeah, so that does include Death Proof. But, um, but anyway, so he's got this split right in the middle of his career. And my hope is that this last movie he makes brings things back to uh, a contemporary time. Supposedly last Right. Movie. If it is. Even if it isn't. I, I want to see the reasoning behind all these period pieces because Tarantino, one thing that he's always done is his movies are somewhat connected. And he, if you noticed 
So Tarantino's never done Red Apple. So yeah, he's never done a post credit scene, and I almost think this is a fourth wall breaking kind of thing and a way for him to to say to us, "Hey, all my movies are connected. These this world that I've built, this past, this history, all affects the other movies that come after it." And I I, I want him I, I want him to be going towards something. I would love to see if if this is his last movie it come back to the present and show us how his history, the history that he built in his world affects the present. And it would be, and I'm not saying that it needs to be upfront and, and the major part of the movie, but it would be interesting if like whatever one of his characters is talking and then, you know, you hear something on the news in the background about Sharon Tate and like her career, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, she's, she's, uh, one of the oldest actresses in Hollywood now, blah, 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 blah. You know, like something, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And just, just some minor call out. To, exactly. Yeah, no, here, here's, here's a question. Like if we look back into his other movies, will we find evidence that Sharon Tate was alive? Oh, wow. That would, that's, that'd be interesting. Yeah. So now we have to look and see if there were hints that this is the reality, whether it's the, you know, this is the reality in the Tarantino verse, or if he's doing a whole back to the future thing, we're now reconning. Now that he went back in time with this movie <laughs> and saved her. Does that uh, now change from the future on? You're funny. I hope the next movie is a time travel movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just a blatant rip off of back to the future. And just, it's just a lot of Tarantino. But. It's just a lot of Marty and Doc sitting in in like the DeLorean talking to each other, though. That's just Rick and Morty. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, man. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm right. I'm right on the same page with you about this movie. It, it more wet my whistle. I feel like I talked about it a you lot. You did, but that's fine. Yeah, I think it it more wet my wet my whistle as to I want to see what's what he's planning next. I'm hoping that he I, I'm gets still away from see this. the next movie. Oh, I'm still going to. Yeah. It's not like I, th- this is a terrible movie. No. It's just I didn't enjoy it in the same way that I enjoy other Tarantino movies. It's, and, you know, if if you enjoy Tarantino movies, you don't need this yeah. one. <laughs> it's I mean, it's not a if, bad if movie, enjoy, but it's a it's a mediocre Tarantino movie. If you can enjoy a Tarantino movie with the sound off, Go see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> You're funny. If the dialogue is not the important part of the movie to you, then go for it. The visuals are stunning. The cinematography is great. Yeah. The, you know, the I even like great. I, I'll tell you one thing that really, really had me like, I was like, oh my God, are we done with this? Is the whole like section of the movie that literally was them filming that movie or that TV show. Oh, where he's playing the bad yeah. guy, and it was like you know that just that I was much. actually okay. No, with. for me it was just like I know this is a plot of a. Sh- it, it was it was like Inception. It was the plot inside well, it, a plot inside a plot, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> this I, isn't you know, the I was story okay with that because it was showing it was showing character development. So I, I'm okay with that because it was showing how he. He's like he realizes that he's just relegated to being the bad guy through I get thing that. And, he, and that he's just kinda faking it and then the little girl kinda inspires him to like, you know what, I'm just gonna fucking do it and yeah. like really puts his heart into it because he you know, 
he wants to be better than what he realizes he's become. Yeah. And I, and like the whole scene when he's like in his uh trailer and he's like yelling at himself. Mm-hmm. Like I I like that part because that was a rare uh plot point <laughs> in the movie because that it, it's if you're thinking about the movie as like the life of this guy and not the, you know, not, not the Sharon the, Tate murder. Yeah, not the Sharon Tate murder, but rather the life of this guy and how it was to be a kind of washed up, you know, cowboy. You're Jake fucking Dalton. Star. That's his name. Jake Dalton. That's it. <laughs> I needed. To, I needed to get that line to to remember. Oh, what, what was the thing that uh, that Brad Pitt's character kept saying? Now here he we like, go. You talking about that? There yeah. we go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, see that that was like a nice little catchphrase thing yeah. in there, but. I mean, there were some great moments. Yeah, but that was it. Moments, but yeah, you had you had moments, and they weren't connected. Oh god, like the scene in Glorious Bastards where like the bear Jew is like (laughs) tapping the baseball bat as he's coming through the the tunnel. Like that is just a phenomenal moment in that Uh movie that ties with the rest of the movie. You're making me want to watch Glorious Bastards a lot because I haven't seen it in a while. Good movie. It is. See, that's the one movie that I think subverted expectations for Tarantino fans because it was his first period piece and we weren't sure yeah. what he was going to do. And literally, it was a Tarantino movie. It was a World War II Tarantino movie and it, and it was fucking brilliant. And like almost yeah. every scene in that movie is like just, uh, it's, it's just gold. Like, I, I don't yeah. think there's one scene in that movie, aside from maybe the scene where, um, where, you know, Captain Zemo from, um, from Civil War is talking, is talking to the French girl, Rick Dalton. Oh yeah, you're right. Rick Dalton. All right. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, wait, which, um, what, what was that? Was that the, you know how uh, like, uh, the, um, what is her name? Shoshanya. Uh, she, you know how like she she oh oh Shoshana yeah, Shoshana. Yeah. Shoshana she gets into that whole thing Arvoa Shoshana yeah. she gets yeah. into that whole thing with uh um the German soldier and he's in the movie mm-hmm. and um yeah like yeah. I understand the point of it like for the plot you know they had to build up their characters and the suspense between their kind of like star-crossed lovers um storyline so that by the end you know, there was, there was something to do there, but at the same time, some of their scenes I would say was like, eh, whatever I can do without these. Even, even the scene where they're at the, uh, at the restaurant and, uh, 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 yeah, like even that, that little, like, like twist uh, of the knife in there, it just like, it just makes every like little bit of that more tense or um the the scene in the bar when the the german soldiers are there and they're all oh my god uh, again that is one of the best written scenes in history and on top of that yeah it literally skyrocketed michael fassbender into the stratosphere of of hollywood Mm mm-hmm let's not even talk about reservoir dogs and the pulp fiction which are amazing you know classic Mm -hmm. Tarantino movies. If we go into uh, Inglorious Bastards, and you look at literally any scene in that movie, it, it's like that uh, scene in Pulp Fiction with the uh, with yes. the gold watch. Yes, you could take pretty much any scene 
in Inglorious Bastards, and it would stand alone as its own short story, like short movie, You're right. and be beautiful. And if you took any scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you wouldn't. No, <laughs> it wouldn't be its own. It's not its own standalone piece, and not. I think that's a big problem. Yeah, because um, you could take um, you could take you could talk, uh, let's go back to Reservoir Reservoir Dogs. You can take a pretty much like a lot of the scenes, like when he's um talking about like uh, coming up with this story that he's gonna tell the people. Oh, and they, they, so they go through good. That whole like that is its own the editing alone. in that whole sequence yeah. alone is amazing. It, it, so. You, when I'm coming from a place of that, when I'm coming from a place of Inglorious Bastards, and even Django, what you were saying was one of his like weaker movies, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I agree with you. That has less iconic, like oh, you could take this scene, but it does have them for sure. It does have uh, scenes in that that you could put as its own standalone, like little masterwork, uh, and this this movie. Uh, doesn't really have that the parts that did do like the little like cutbacks to uh like little flashback kind of scenes uh like the entire beginning of the movie just kind of felt like you know jerky mm-hmm. and didn't really flow very the only well time and... i can say that maybe you could do that with is the whole bruce lee part yeah, that's its own little encapsulated fun thing, but it it doesn't uh, without the context of the scene before that, where he's like, "Yeah, it's the guy from the and and then having him at the end is like, "Yeah, uh, I I see where you're coming from." Like that is the like little bow on top of the present right. that that little scene right. was, and without the previous scene that happened like maybe five minutes before that and the resulting stuff from that it it just yeah i don't know it 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 just wouldn't be as impactful so yeah i don't know i it's it's a pretty movie uh if if you like watching tarantino movies with the sound off (laughs) it's your movie yeah uh if, if you're not into the dialogue then go for it. It's all you, buddy. <laughs> but if you're in there for the dialogue, uh, if you like the the pithy way that you know the characters talk to each other and the amazing pacing and the just the flow and uh, just amazing uh, amazing relationships that you see through conversations between the characters and this ain't the one for you yeah because <laughs> you don't really get all of that and and who am i to judge a lowly it guy but this wasn't the movie for that this movie was for showing off you know old hollywood and westerns and how that world uh was before you know, a harsh reality struck Hollywood. Yeah. Which is fine. 
that's your thing. That's just not what I wanted. Right. So I think that pretty much uh, wraps up how I feel about the movie. <laughs> but I'm right there with you, pretty much. Um, um, an agreement. I think uh, what we all need to do after watching that is watching Glorious Bastards for sure, and be like, "Oh no, he he can make good movies. Yeah, really, They're really good movies." Then we have to mention this really quick because it's a very interesting connection between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Stranger Things. So, um, the new addition to Stranger Things that we neglected to mention, um, Maya Hawk, is phenomenal. I thought she was a great addition to the cast. Is she the girl that works with Scoop Yes. Robin? Robin, yeah. Uh, so, Robin uh, is played by Maya Hawk. okay? So, uh, Maya Hawk is also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She plays the hippie that um, takes the car and leaves them there. At the end, you know how she's like, "Oh, I forgot oh, my okay, knife. Yep, yep. I'm gonna go back yep. to the car." Yeah, yep. that's Maya Hawk, mm-hmm. same same actress that played Robin. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, just back to Kevin Smith's daughter played a hippie. Yeah, too. yeah. So just back to Stranger Things for a minute. I thought she was such a great addition to the cast that she didn't even feel like she was a new character, and I thought that was no. amazing. She's a great actress, and she really fit in well with those with that that cast. Well, they like slowly added her in. Uh, there's, a, there's a term in chemistry that I completely Let's forgot. Ask Walter now. White. Yeah, it, it, it titrate. Mm-hmm. They it, like titrated her in just slowly, like little like drips, drip, drip until she was just part of the homogenous, you know, mixture, right. and you didn't like notice that like she wasn't there before. Right. So yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying. But anyway, so um, so interestingly enough, Maya Hawk, uh, her last name is from is a bird. Yes. No, but uh, she is the daughter of Ethan Hawk. Hmm. And you don't and, say. Drumroll. Her mother is Uma Thurman. No kidding. Yes. And now that I said this, if you look her up. She looks exactly like Uma Thurman. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No, I can see yeah. it now. But um, but I, I uh, watched an interview the other day with her, and they were talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how she got the role and everything. And she was like, you know, like I've met Quentin. Uh, I was on the set of Kill Bill when I was a kid. Um, you know, like I, 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 of course I know him. Like my mom and him are friends, so on and so forth. But she went through the same process as anyone else that uh went through a casting call mm-hmm. you know she put her her audition tape out there uh they brought her in for a call back and so on and so forth um but i just thought it was a very interesting thing that um even though uma thurman was not in this movie her daughter was and um hmm. i'm just interested to see if maybe she's gonna start appearing in more of tarantino's movies from here on out his one more movie. Yes, his one more movie. Well, you never know. Maybe they'll make Kill Bill Junior. <sighs> no, actually, this is a per- kill kill. This Bill. is a perfect opportunity for them to make that third Kill Bill movie that he's been hinting at all these years, um, and she could, and then still have it considered like one movie, <laughs> right? 
but um and she could play the older of her daughter what is it, bb yeah. yeah even though she looks nothing Which... like bb <laughs> but yeah but i mean it's uh, they're kids they grow up to look yeah. whatever well i mean she'd grow up to look like her actual mother in the movie so yeah but yeah i, I mean uh i just thought that was an interesting little fact tidbit that maybe obviously you didn't know so there you go yeah no i had no idea but now that you said it yeah. but yeah so anyway i think uh i think i'm gonna call this a night since we are five minutes from 12 here yeah so uh let's wrap it up wrap it 